The first scripture is from Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 31. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go after them. So I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his armies, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord when I have gained glory over, my, over the Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of the Lord, who was going before the Israelites, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the armies of Egypt and the armies of Israel, and so the cloud was there in the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went into this dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in a pillar of, fly, in a pillar of fire and cloud, looked down on the Egyptians and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee free from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and their chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. And the Egyptians fled before it. And the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Here ends the reading. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these scriptures. Amen. You may be seated. The year was 1822, or, or maybe it was 1824. It's, it's hard to know 200 years later exactly when it happened, but it was around then that a baby girl named Araminta was born on the eastern shore of Maryland. Araminta Minty was the fifth of what would become nine children in her family. Her parents were Harriet Green and Benjamin Ross. Her father, Benjamin, was a timber inspector who was entrusted to manage the vast land holdings, the vast timber holdings of his master. You see, Minty's parents were both enslaved persons, and Minty, too, was born in bondage. She was born a slave. In the 17th century, uh, the American colonies had passed a law that said any child born to an enslaved woman would also be an enslaved person, regardless of whether the father was a slave or not. So 
if the mother had a child with um, a free black man or with a white man, it didn't matter. The child was born enslaved. And Minty's mother and father, it was a little complicated because her mother and father were technically owned by different people. So her father was owned by a man named Anthony Thompson and Minty's mother was owned by Thompson's stepson, Edward Brodess. When Edward turned 21, he took possession of his property and he moved several miles away to his own farm. That meant that Minty and her mother and all of her mother's children, all of Minty's brothers and sisters, were not allowed to live with Minty's father. But for his job as a timber inspector, they might have lost touch altogether, but that small miracle enabled them to stay connected. At only age five, Minty, the age of a kindergartner, was put in charge of all of her younger brothers and sisters while her mother worked day and night at the master's house. When Minty got just a little older though, Edward realized that he could rent her out to other surrounding plantations, to other farmers. She was beaten, she was whipped, she was scarred by those who rented her. She was often sick and often returned by the dissatisfied customer only to be nursed back to health by her mother and then rented out again. Imagine it. As a child, she was separated from her family again and again with no idea of when or if she would see them again. It left her feeling lonely and afraid and insecure. One day, Minty came home to find that three of her sisters had been sold to out-of-state buyers. Her sisters actually had to leave their children behind in Maryland to go with the people who had bought them. And this wasn't unique to Minty's family. The cotton gin had exploded the production of cotton in the southern states. And there was a whole industry, a new slave trade, booming in the United States. But Minty stayed in Maryland. She didn't get sent further south. When Minty was about 12 or 14 years old, she was hired out as a field hand to, uh, to a farmer in the area close to where her mother lived. And one evening, uh, the cook from that plantation said, Minty, I've got to go get supplies. Come into town with me. And she did. And while they were in town at the store, an overseer and a young slave boy from another plantation got into an argument. And when, and when the boy tried to run away, the overseer picked up a weight from the counter of the store and he threw it at the boy, completely missing him, striking Minty in the head, cutting her head open, fracturing her skull. Many decades later, Minty told a friend that she couldn't, she couldn't figure out how she could even survive that because she had actually been forced to go back into the fields and work before it was even healed. She was in the field with, with blood and tears running down her face so she couldn't even see what she was doing. For obvious reasons, Minty's work was not up to par. So the man who had rented her returned her to Edward Broadus. He tried several times to, to sell her, but it turned out she wasn't worth much now that she had this severe injury. And she suffered from nearly constant headaches. And she had a condition that historians now say was probably a form of epilepsy resulting from the brain injury she sustained in the attack. Eventually, Minty did recover enough that she could be rented out 
uh, lucky her, <laughs> and, uh, and she persevered to become a strong, reliable woman. She was so clever that she negotiated a deal with Edward Brades, her owner, uh, and she paid him $60 a year. And in exchange, he let her pick which jobs she would do. She was allowed to say no to some jobs and she was allowed to say yes to others. So she got a job close to where her father worked. And through him, she learned about a secret communication network, what we know today as the Underground Railroad. And she became part of this network and she passed on information about safe places for black Americans to shelter from those who wanted to enslave them. When Minty was about 25 years old, Edward Brades, her owner, died. And so she seized the opportunity and she successfully fled to freedom. She said that when she finally came through the wilderness, through the actual forest, and realized that she was in a place where slavery was not allowed, and she felt freedom for the first time, she said, there was such a glory over everything the sun came like gold through the trees and over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. You know Minty Ross by another name. You know her as Harriet Tubman. After getting herself to safety, uh, she returned again and again to Maryland to help people travel along the Underground Railroad to find freedom. She lived in Canada for a time, but eventually settled in New York, Auburn, New York. In her 30s, she became a popular speaker on issues of abolition and on women's rights. She challenged the ways that society diminished the role and abilities of women of all races and diminished the, the role and abilities of African-Americans of all genders. As she did this work, she had to travel under fake names because the truth was she was a fugitive. She was an escaped slave. Under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, she could be captured by U.S. Marshals at any time and returned to Maryland against her will. Despite this, she personally escorted at least 70 people to freedom. During the Civil War, uh, Minty Harriet Tubman worked as a nurse providing care to Black soldiers. And the skills she had honed working on the Underground Railroad were put to use, and she actually became a spy for the Union Army. She worked, she spied behind Confederate lines. In June 1863, she became the first woman to command an armed military raid. She led a regiment into South Carolina to destroy Confederate stockpiles of cotton, food and weapons. And oh, by the way, they liberated 700 people from enslavement. Harriet Tubman worked her entire life for the freedom of others, which is why she is often called the Moses of her people. In our text for today, Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 31, Moses leads the Israelites from bondage, from enslavement in Egypt to freedom. It was not an easy journey. As Nelson Mandela has taught us, his, his autobiography is entitled The Long Walk to Freedom. And he's taught us that it's often a difficult and confusing journey. And that's true in our collective uh, human journey. And it's true in our individual lives too. Life is not nearly as neat or as linear as we would like it to be, right? 
How did you come to be the person you are today? <laughs> Through a series of twists and turns, not only your own, but those of your ancestors too, right? You've arrived at today by making your way through at least a few murky marshes and a dark wilderness or two. No one gets through life without hard times. No one gets through life without at least a few scars. And your hard times, you know, they mark you. Maybe they've made you stronger, but surely they have left you marked, scarred in some way. The Israelites experienced that on their journey. And the gift of scripture is that we can learn from their experience. Their story helps us understand our own journey a little better. A Lutheran pastor named Corey Driver writes this, considering the experience of the Israelites helps provide solace and empathy for so many of us on our own messy and confusing journeys. I think he gets that right. At the beginning of Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites are camped by the sea. They've fled Egypt and in, in the wake of the, the 12th and final plague, which is the death of the firstborn sons of everyone, every Egyptian, including Pharaoh. In the wake of so much death, the Egyptians wanted the Israelites to leave. The Egyptians understood that their grief that this tremendous loss was wrought, was brought upon them by the God of Israel. Such was their fear that when the Israelites asked for jewelry and clothing for the journey, the Egyptians just heaped it upon them. The Bible says the Israelites plundered or despoiled the Egyptians. We talked about this a little bit in Bible study on Thursday, right? It says that the, the Egyptians just loaded them down. It was as if the Egyptians realized in some way that they needed to repay the Israelites for all of that forced labor. So the Israelites left Egypt way down with wealth and they left, so they thought, with permission from Pharaoh. But they quickly realized that Pharaoh had changed his mind and was not going to let them leave without a fight. So as the Israelites approached the Red Sea, they looked up. And they saw the Egyptian army pursuing them. And they said to Moses, what have you done? Did you bring us out here to die? They said to Moses, we told you this was never going to work. We told you just leave us be in Egypt where we could serve the Egyptians. Well, God had been pretty clear on that point. The Israelites were to serve God and God alone, not the Egyptians not Pharaoh, God, and only God. In the story of the Exodus, God is setting out to prove something to Pharaoh, to all of Egypt, but to Moses and to the Israelites too. God wants everyone to know that Israel's God is the Lord of everything. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, God says, this is why I have let you live, to show you my power, and to make my name resound through all the earth. And in Exodus chapter 12, at verse 12, God says, on all the gods, little g gods, so false gods or idols, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The Israelites are not to serve Pharaoh. They are to serve the Lord. They are to make God's name resound throughout all the earth. So when the Israelites are standing on the shore of the Red Sea, 
and they see the Egyptian army coming towards them, Moses reassures them, right? He says at Exodus 14, 13, this is in your bulletin. I I love this part. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. Just be still. It seems like great advice, right? Stand firm, keep still, be still and know that God is God. Great advice, right? Not this time because the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move it. God doesn't want them to stand still. God wanted them to keep going on their journey of freedom. Yes, it was scary. Yes, it was difficult, but God was making a way for them. Friends, do you feel that? That as you progress step by step in your unique journey, even when it's scary or difficult, God is making a way for you. Maybe you're afraid to move. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're scared, afraid to make the next move or take the next step. Maybe you're thinking, you know, things aren't so great, but better the trouble I know than this uncertain future that's completely unknown to me. Meanwhile, God is with you saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. God tells Moses to raise his staff and stretch his hand and divide the waters of the sea. The Israelites thought they were trapped on the shore, but no, God made a way for them. It had to be so confusing in that moment. Since Exodus chapter 13, the Israelites could see the presence of God with them, a pillar of cloud and fire. And this pillar has moved in front of them to show them where to go. But then they get here to the shore of the Red Sea and the pillar moves to be behind them, between them and the Egyptian army. It says in Exodus 14, the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. It's not hard to imagine the Israelites saying, wait, how how are we going to know where we're going? Aren't we supposed to follow that pillar? But then God uses Moses to part the sea and make a way for them in an an utterly unexpected, unbelievable, never-before-seen way. The pillar goes from leading them to providing light for them and obscuring them from the pursuing army. The view in front of them with no pillar of light from God was completely uncertain and dark. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you're facing an uncertain future. Maybe you or someone you love is facing a difficult and impossible diagnosis. Maybe you've lost a job you didn't really enjoy, but you needed it to pay the bills. Maybe you've recently realized that a friendship 
or even your marriage isn't what it should be and you've had to cut someone out of your life. Maybe you've only recently moved to the United States and even as you are overjoyed to finally be here, you also realize the gravity of starting over in America. Maybe as you sit here today, your future feels uncertain. Be assured, just as God made a way for the Israelites, so too God is making a way for you. Pastor Corey Driver writes this. The Israelite experience of freedom was deeply confusing. The Israelites were freed with gifts of gold and silver, and then they were pursued by an army. And then Moses told them to be still and see what God would do. And then God told them to stop standing still and move forward. And then the pillar that had been leading them moved behind them. And then they walked through the depths of a sea on dry land. And then an army pursued them, but then the army was drowned. There were many confusing reversals in the process of being freed. As we walk along the uncertain paths of this life, God's leading can be deeply confusing. He says, make no mistake. God calls us all to freedom from sin and death, including freedom from structural sin, like the Egyptian system of slavery. Sometimes the path is confusing, and our act of faithfulness, the thing we must do, is to stop standing still, to stop crying out, and instead to move forward into what the Lord is doing. Harriet Tubman did that. She stepped into a call to lead people to freedom. She stepped up to speak truth to power, not only with her words, but also with her actions. She was the Moses of her people, leading them to freedom and safety and leading them into an unknown future. She did this because she felt not only compelled by God, but led by God. She saw her actions as part of a divine mission to help others find freedom. She often spoke of dreams and visions that God gave her to guide her. She said, I always tell God, I'm going to hold steady on to you and you've got to see me through. We can and we should and we must learn from Harriet Tubman and Moses and others like them. God wants to liberate you from what's holding you back and God wants you to help others step into their freedom. Look around this week. Pray that God will open your eyes and your heart and your mind to the systems of bondage, the sin that keeps people from being free. Take bold action this week or this month or this year such that someone will look at your life and say, surely God is on their side. Hold steady on to God and God will see you through the confusion, through the darkness, through the uncertainty, to dry ground, to safety, to freedom, not only for you, but for others too. Amen.